All right, everybody. I am here today with Karina Holmes. How are you doing today, Karina? I'm doing great. Well, good. Well, so uh, Karina has an interesting story how she ended up on her podcast today. So as many of you know, I have a pro club, so I'll put my little plug in for that, Patty. Right. So ccsalespro.com slash pro. So if you're an individual agent selling merchant services. And uh, Karina is part of that group. And on Facebook, I did a contest where I had our agents, uh, or all of the members of the pro club, put a little comment <clears throat> under one of my posts telling us about the last merchant that they sold. You know, a little bit of information. What was the value proposition? What type of business? All that. And then we just drew a name out of a hat. And part of the contest was some free marketing materials, but also I wanted to interview an agent on uh, the podcast because I always like to keep uh, merchant level salespeople on the podcast to, you know, kind of have that, have that uh, reality check of what right. it's what it's really like. So anyway, all that to say, Karina and I are going to talk a little bit about building personal branding to sell merchant services. Uh, we had Jerome on here talking about Magathy Payments and building that kind of brand, um, and now we're going to hear from Karina a little bit about personal branding. So. Karina, give us a little backstory. How did you get into this crazy industry, and how did you end up selling merchant services? Um, honestly, I was a business owner. So I was your traditional brick-and-mortar business owner. Sure. And after I sold, yeah, after I sold that business, um, I really wanted to do something where, um, A, I didn't have to buy another business, and, B, I could do something where it was uh, 1099 and I could still um, hang out with my kids. Yeah. So absolutely. it was a perfect fit for me. I'm a great, uh, I'm really great at relationships and really great with people. And so being out in the field, it, it's perfect for me. So take, take us back. First of all, how long ago was it that you got into credit card processing? I guess would be the first question. It was probably, I'd say going on seven years now. Okay. So take us back seven years ago. How did you get started as far as how did you get those first 10, 20 accounts? Were you going door to door? Were you on the phones? Like what, what were you doing to get those first few accounts? No. So I am in what they call a networking master. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so I just started networking, going to different groups, being a part of groups that was industry specific. And I really like that. It does take time to build relationships. Sure. But I realized and I found over time that any single time someone refers me, I teach them how to refer me first off, first of all. Mm -hmm. And when I do get a referral, um, it's a 90% close. So let's, I, I want to dig into this because this is so, that's why I love doing these uh, interviews because it's so interesting to me because again, you know, for me, I was, I am like the networking idiot. Like I'm, I'm the opposite, right? So I'm, I never did that. <laughs> so, so this is really good. So Karina, talk to me. You said you joined all these groups. I'm assuming we're talking about BNI, Chamber of Commerce, but then you said something about yeah. maybe specific industries. Or can you give us a little more context? Like what type of groups were you joining? So I just do industry specific. BNI is one of them. That's okay. great. I don't do chambers, and here's okay. why. I've and this is just by trial and error. I've joined chambers before, and chambers you walk in and there's like 1,200 people. It's very hard to um, establish a relationship because there, you know, there's no um, accountability as far as attendance. So it's different mm -hmm. people all of the time. Sure. Um, I for me it was just a waste of time. So in the smaller networking groups where uh, it's industry-specific. You get to build a relationship over time. They get to trust you. Um, and then people, I have a mastermind group that includes uh, CPAs, anybody in payroll, um, anybody that looks at numbers, and that's financial advisors, that's bookkeepers, um, all of those people, and then in technology as well. So we all have a mastermind group um, that 
I head and we talk about how we can refer each other. I teach them how to refer to me and uh, they do the same with me as well. And that's where we go. So when you talk about teaching them how to refer, I'm, I'm interested in, in how about, do you do I was that? I about to ask that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so you and I know that there's a lot of um, businesses get like five to ten calls a day. Sure. Either telemarketing sure, uh, with merchant services and also uh, with people walking in. So how do I compete with that? Well, um, it's based on the relationship. So when I tell people, okay, can you – Tell them that, hey, um, I have this gal, her, you know, she's known as a credit card lady in, in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I trust her. I know she, she'll give you a great deal, and I know she takes care of her accounts. Um, would you be open to listening to what she at least has to say? Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's how they refer to me. Okay. So it sounds like I want to kind of restate your kind of networking strategy here because it's so interesting. I've never heard anything exactly like this. So so it sounds to me like what you're saying is you would go to these different networking events like BNI and, and other groups, and then from mm-hmm. that you're building relationships, and it sounds like your goal then mm-hmm. is kind of like to get those people into your own kind of mastermind group that you head up to kind of deepen that relationship and get them into a group that you, you are the one that kind of administrates the group. Is, am I, am I saying that correctly? Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, that's really, really interesting. Very so, cool. yeah. and by the way, I should have said at the beginning of this interview, I didn't just have Karina on here because I randomly drew her name out of a hat. I actually wanted Karina on here before because she's amazing and sells like <laughs> so many merchant accounts. It's ridiculous. So, Okay, Karina, so good. So we've got that. All right, so you you go to the BNI group and give us a little context of like what you do. Like I have never been to a BNI group. I don't know if I ever will. It's not really my thing. But I'm really curious. Like mm-hmm. when you go there, you know, I never went because I'm like, what? Like you walk in the door and then what happens? Like what do you do at a BNI group? So in a BNI group, what you do is you are given a chance to give like a thirty second spiel, like a thirty second commercial. Okay. Right. Uh-huh. Right. So everyone has a turn to give a commercial. I give my commercial, um, and then we also um, give a presentation. So when it's my turn to give a presentation, it's a 10-minute presentation, and that's maybe once every, like, two or three months. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and I give a presentation on everything that we offer, everything we do, um, you know, the POSs that we have, um, the integration part. That's what I'm really, really great at is um, extreme integration um, as far as like uh, if they want to send an invoice out of QuickBooks, you know, how can they send an invoice out of QuickBooks and still be able to um, process through you without paying, without paying without yeah. paying the crazy rates? Is exactly. that the idea? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. OK, cool. All right. So so that was going to be my next question. So so you're the integration side. I was kind of curious, like what your what your value proposition is. Like you mentioned that 30 second commercial and then the 10 minute, you know, uh, presentation. So it sounds like you're saying you have kind of more of like the technical expertise and the and the resources. to oh, yeah. Right. So that's the idea. Oh, you're yeah. going in and doing that. What are what are some other verticals that you've hit with this with this same thing of, you know, OK, they want to do the invoice. Are there others like point of sale type integrations or what are some other verticals yep. that you've hit with success? Well, also on e on the e-commerce side, if they have if it's an open API connection, then you know I'm in. Right. Uh, also, with um, when they have certain kind of software that they want to use, like a appointment scheduler or or whatnot, I'll even go the extra mile. And even if they have a processing platform built into that, I'll go the extra mile and call the software company and say, Hey, let's make a deal. Um, you want them to use your software, correct? 
Yes. Okay. Right. Well, then let us do the processing. They'll still use your software, mm-hmm. and it's a win-win for both of us. Sure, sure. I'm like, yeah, correct. It is. So, and then we go from there. Well, and I would assume that in that situation, I know, like, that's, I actually did that kind of thing a lot. And, and in my experience, some of the time, maybe maybe a third of the time or maybe a fifth of the time, you're actually able to establish some kind of a referral relationship with that software company as well, right? Where it's like, hey, when you get new people that want to use your scheduling software, now that you know that you can integrate with me and I do a great job, let's continue that. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes there's nothing that you can do about it as far right. as software. If it's proprietary, then, you know, there's nothing you can do. I mean, it's done. But to me, a deal is not done until they say, you know, we can't integrate whatsoever. Well, then it's done. Right. But right. most of the time I can. I, I'm, I'm a little sneaky about it. Sure. You'll find a way. <laughs> now, I understand right. that that part I get. I was definitely the same way there. So, OK, so I have two more questions for you real quick. So my next question is. Again, going back seven years, you started this networking thing. You kind of alluded to, you know, maybe it takes a little longer. You're building these relationships. Can you uh-huh. give me a little flavor uh-huh. of, of, of like, what do you mean by that as far as, you know, for me, I went out door to door and sold three people my first week, um, you know, and then I was selling people every week and, you know, building it up. Now, what you did is more right from the beginning doing the networking and relationships. You had just sold a business. You uh-huh. probably had a little bit of a nest egg. What was the sales cycle time like and how long was it before you were kind of getting all the wheels turning? I'd say it was a couple of months. Yeah, that's what I thought you said. It was a couple of months, right. and now it's like a it's a never ending train of referrals right. that come in. You, you so can't like even Monday escape when now. I wake up. <laughs> Go ahead. And now you can't escape, <laughs> right? No, yeah. I mean it's great, but right, no, it's a good problem. So for instance, yeah, I mean it's a great problem to have. I mean, great problem to have. So Monday I'll wake up and I'll have like six referrals that come in, um, and then Friday kind of the same thing. So. Uh, and like I said, it's a 90% close. Once you teach people or teach your referral partners what to say, I mean, you know, right. the sky's the limit with that. Yeah, they're, they're basically teeing it up where if, as long mm-hmm. as there's not some technical constraint, right, you're you're going to be able to work with them. Well, not only that, but I I leverage relationships. Sure. I say, how do you know this person? Okay, they're a friend of yours. Okay, great. Can you put in a good word for me? Here's what you say. Right. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too. Like one of the points you made is and I, I've started to learn this, you know, even in the last few years with the business I have now with dealing with the ISOs and stuff that people actually like to if you do a good job, people want to refer you. But a lot of times they really yeah. are nervous and they don't know what to say. And so like sending them like I started doing this thing where I'll work with my consulting clients and I'll send them an email and I'll say, hey, I really need you to give me a reference with this person. Here is an idea of what you might say in an email. Feel free to use this or, or yeah. you know, type mm-hmm. your own out. Right. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So, so this is like so interesting. So one last question. <laughs> uh, I just love this kind of stuff. Cause again, for me, it's really neat because I love this industry because like I, I get to talk to all these different agents and ISOs that are all succeeding doing totally different things, um, which is, which uh-huh. is awesome. So my last question for you is, and this is going to be a tough one, but all right. So if you could talk to people now who just sold their business, they just quit their job, whatever it is, they just came to this industry. They have a little bit of nest egg like you did. And so they're looking at a long-term thing. They want to build the relationships. They want to build that kind of personal brand in their local market. Do you have any tips specifically you could think of that if you could go back in time, you wish you could have told yourself seven years ago? Mm. Mm. Yes, that is a hard one. <laughs> you know, yeah. I bet you there's a lot of things. You do, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, anything you do is trial and error. So I'm all about failing first. Sure. And then learning from that and seeing what, what really works. So I'm of the philosophy, okay, well, let me try this. If that doesn't work, okay, well, that doesn't work, let me try this. Right. Um, and that's just, you can't, in this industry, you can't be successful right off the bat. It takes time. Right. It takes time. Yeah. But once you put in the time, you put in the effort, and you know your stuff like the back of your hand when it comes to integration, when it comes to POSs, when it comes to proprietary software, then, you know, the sky's the limit. It really is. But it takes you failing forward in order for you to succeed, and you can't escape that. Yeah. yeah. It's such a good point, Karina, because one thing I see so often is, you know, everybody says this industry is so competitive, like it's this, you know, like this big, this big tank of sharks, you know, and we're all just trying to get that one scrap of meat. And that's, I just don't see the market that way. I really don't. I see it as... There, right? Like there are thousands, tens of thousands of agents that are brand new mm-hmm. that are competing for business. Mm-hmm. But how many agents yep. are there in your market that have been doing it for seven years that actually know what they're doing? Probably right. one. Maybe mm-hmm. there's another one. I, you know, maybe <laughs> like an hour away. Like when I was selling, it was like everybody told me, "Oh, that industry is so competitive," and it's like, well. Yeah, like my first six months or a year it was because I was one of the thousands of agents that didn't know what in the world I was doing. Right. But after that, mm-hmm. it wasn't competitive at all. I'm the only one. Like, I'm mm-hmm. it. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the credit card guy. You're the credit right. card lady. You know, like, it's like, no, no, like, I'm the expert. Like, there's only one of me out here, you know? And, and I feel like it's that right. same way in, in every, even in markets that are more competitive, you know, the way to get to the top is like, you have to have that commitment level to stay with it for one, two, three, four years to really get that, right. to build that expertise, you know? 100%. Anything that you do in life, you're going to have, you're going to you're going to have competitors period right. i welcome mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. please yeah. come play at my table right please sure because i know at the end of the day i'm going to win right. like there's nine other people that i've beaten out there's a 13 million call, uh, contract on the table right now um, and i beat out nine other people it's between me and another processor from wells fargo and that's it because i stay the course Right. Am I going to mm-hmm. win this contract? I certainly hope so, right. but I'm not going to give up. Right, right. And, you and if you don't, there'll be another $13 million that'll come up in a few months and you'll win that one. Like, you know, you yeah. just, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's such, such, such good stuff. Anything you do takes competition. I mean, you it's know, what and makes it you makes you better. better when I have right. competition. Right, it makes you better, right? Because it makes you want to work harder and, and, and do a better job. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, Karina, this has just been such great stuff. I really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your day here to just talk with us and share some tips with our audience. I know there's a lot of people listening that uh, got some really good information and hopefully some encouragement from that as well. Yes, I hope so. And uh, just I, I want to quickly just ask one last Go question, ahead, Patty. if you don't mind. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Karina, James, was, you know, he had explained to me about the, uh, the contest. The, the pro club thing. The pro club right, thing. Right, right. So I'm just interested in what your pitch was. Oh, on the last merch. Do you remember which one you put, Karina? I know it was a few weeks ago. You said the last merchant you had sold. I don't remember which one it was. Yeah, it was a flooring company. Okay. It was a flooring company. And his issue, his biggest issue was not really saving money. His biggest issue was he wanted to be able to um, use the same card. So what that means is he there's 50% down when it comes to his customers. They have to get 50% down once sure. they sign the contract. Sure. Right? Right. And then there's another 50% that is due after installation. Oh. And he said, is there, yeah, is there any way that we could, you know, gather the information from the card? Right. Um, and, and then, then next time that the next they payment? pay, it's just, 
it says, would you like to use 3699? Yes, I do. There you go. Ah. So that was the biggest issue. Uh-huh. We're able to do that, plus saving money at the same time. I mean, you know, yeah. it's a win-win situation for him. Very cool. Very cool. Thank and you I, and for I'm, sharing and, that. And I, I'm sure, Karina, that that was a referral. Yes? Yes. Yeah, that's what I figured. Of yes. course. So that's where you go. So it was a referral. It was a flooring <laughs> company. And you sold them because of your uh, knowledge of gateways and technology and, and getting the right solution. Mm-hmm. So no surprise there right up yep. your alley. So, hey, Karina, thanks yep. again so much for your time. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, have an awesome day. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For the past 36 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. Well, James, it's beginning to look like a good holiday season. Of course. New data from the National Retail Federation points to pretty healthy uh, growth in uh, consumer spending for the year-end holiday. You know, Christmas, Hanukkah, all the other holidays. Right, right. The retailing group says it expects holiday retail sales during November and December to total between $728 billion and $731 billion. Nice. Which would be between a 38 and a 4.2% over sales during the same period last year. Which I was surprised, but again, not totally because we had the government shut down oh, before Christmas. right, right. Uh, retail, holiday retail sales only grew at 2% last year. Sure. But that's, Now, did that include, that's online and offline? On and off. Okay, got yes. it. All right. So, obviously, and I'll get to this in a minute, the online was a much larger growth. Larger growth. That's yeah. Okay. Um, and, it, you know, it says that... Um, Online, actually, yeah, online and other non-store sales are going to grow between 11% and 14%, mm-hmm. according to their predictions. Um, but the total at $162.6 billion, between that and $166, $167 billion, it's only represents about $1 in $5 spent. Got it. So even though the growth in online is double- Right, it's still a much smaller piece of the pie, but it's growing fast. But it's yeah, the piece yeah. is getting bigger. But faster. I mean, that's you know, it's funny. I mean, you look back what ten years ago, right? That number was like in the hundreds of millions, probably. You oh, know, it like, was. It's like wow, that's insane. That yeah, it's like that has grown that much. You know, it's fast. over a hundred and sixty billion dollars in online sales. I mean, when you over think the course of what are we talking about here, like, like two, two months? months? That's insane. You know? Yeah, so. I mean, that's that's like, you know, even the biggest. Uh, acquirers aren't doing that in a right, year, exactly. right? So, exactly. I mean, that's a lot. Yep. So, um, and there is a challenge this year to online and mail order shopping because um, the spending holiday yeah. is only three weeks long this year because Thanksgiving falls on the 28th of November. Oh, okay. So, you know, when you're ordering online or mail order, you got to do it a few days ahead of time right. so that it comes in on time. So I can't wait for Amazon to get their drones done, you know. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I heard a story about that today, and they were talking about uh, – I thought it was so funny. They were talking about Walgreens doing drones, right? Oh, to deliver their uh, the, prescription. Oh, that'd be amazing. Can you imagine? I mean, I was like, wow, when you're really sick. Right. And you just, that just don't want to go sense. out and get the, you know. Yeah. But one of the things they were they were worried about, about the drones, and it had never occurred to me before. They said, and I know this is off topic, but just real yeah, quickly, yeah. Um, when a drone comes to deliver something, right, they're going to drop in the driveway. 
Right. Right. Usually or something like that. Right. So you get all these kids around like, hey, look at this cool thing. Right. Well, they have to be really careful about how the drone then takes off. Takes again. off. Right. Right. Because and apparently that's those are some of the kinks. Yeah. That oh, that, there's a whole there's a whole infrastructure kink where they'd have to. And, and not to mention that the U.S. government has so far not been very sympathetic. Well, you know? yeah. I mean, we have all kinds of airline. Right. You know, right. paths and yeah, so forth yeah, to deal but, with. But, but anyway. still, but it would be nice. But, it, but right now, this year, it definitely is going to take a couple days to get definitely got to so. have a few days ahead yeah, of time. Sure. Okay, so the NRF holiday spending forecast is based on economic model, takes into consideration a lot of indicators, including employment, wages, consumer confidence, disposable income, consumer credit usage, and retail sales. So it's a pretty okay. comprehensive. I just wanted to put that out yeah, there. Sure. And they have data that goes back to about 2002 that show year-end holiday sales have consistently increased by at least 2%, except, of course, in 2008 when they fell by 4.7%. Right. But other than that, I mean, it's been steadily it's been increasing. Steady. Right. You know, I recently wrote a feature um, for the Green Sheet on prepping for the holidays. It was kind of funny because I had to start writing it in September. Right. Uh, and right. it was like, oh, I man. I just read it yesterday. So Yeah, did you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and then, you know, I interviewed James in case anybody hasn't read it yet. Right. Um, but I, you know, had interviewed a lot of people when it was yeah. really hard to come across data because it was so early in the year. Right, yeah. You know, sure. and so I was like, you know, using last year's data and trying right, to do right. some massaging. But I thought it was would be interesting. You know, I asked a lot of people when I was, um, you know, researching that story for advice, you know, what, what to tell other ISOs and agents. Right. And um, I think probably the, the, the advice I got from the most, the most common advice I got was take the initiative now. Right. Don't wait until Thanksgiving. Right. Don't wait till right. Black Friday, you know. And so that's why I think it's good that we're talking about this at least in early November now. Right. So that people can start thinking about it. You know, it's yep. time, if you haven't already, it's time to reach out to your to your merchants and discuss steps that they can take to, you know, better capture some of these sales. Yeah. And, I mean, this is definitely the time of year when a lot of these retail businesses are thinking about their business. They're thinking about their growth. How are we going to grow? Right. How, you know, mm -hmm. we need help growing. What are some right. things? And, and you know is, what else too? I really feel like too, a lot of what people don't understand is this is also a time of year where business owners are thinking about the automation of processes they mm -hmm. put in place right and because you know they're thinking about last year when they wanted to spend more time with the grandkids yes but they had to be at their store mm -hmm. because they don't have it well organized right they don't have processes in place they don't have employees that they trust right um and so this is a really good time of and year automation in place you know just right. some of the things that just take so much more right. time that if you had an integrated pos for example right. and you were able to look at your phone and see what your sales are for the day right and, and you know who had clocked in and who had not clocked in right. and things like that yeah exactly Exactly. So, you know, um, you know, one of the things, obviously, you know, he, you know, here's some other things, you know, like, you know, access to working capital so you can staff up and stock up. I oh, mean, yeah. Huge. We've talked about things like merchant cash advances in the past year. Right. Right. This is a prime time of year to do that. Absolutely. Um, if they're not already doing loyalty programs, this is the time to oh, be pitching yeah. that, you well, know, definitely. Uh, Special holiday pricing for members only. Right. Just get right. those names and addresses, you know. Right. I mean, just get them signed up for the programs. Sure. What about uh, even consumer financing? We were just talking about. We were just talking that, I think, last week, right? Yeah, in last week's slow, episode. Yeah, 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 recent episode. Um, see, gift card programs. 
And this is oh, big. huge. Yeah, huge. You have to, if you're not selling gift cards this time of year and you're a retail or restaurant, you're, you're just missing out. Yeah, you're missing out. I mean, the, the huge advantage, of course, are the upfront cash that you get to, right. f- to fund operations. Sure. Um, but, uh, in, or, you know, inventory or, or whatever. But, uh, you know, here's an interesting thing. Research suggests that holiday shoppers dedicate more than half of their gifting to prepaid cards. And on average, spend about $33 more on a gift card than they would a physical gift. Wow. And that doesn't surprise me because I was thinking about it when I was writing this up. I have score, I mean, I literally, I have over 30 nieces and nephews. And, sure. you know, when they get to a certain age, you can't buy them gifts Right, anymore. what are you going to buy them? Right? And for a while, I would send them, I thought, oh, it's really cool. You send them a $50 bill, right? Right. But then I started thinking, why don't I just send them... A gift card. Right. You know, like yeah. they all play online games. They all shop sure, at Amazon. Sure. Well, when I started buying the cards, I was spending a lot more right. on the cards. Oh. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it was sort of like, well, it's his birthday right around then. Right. So I'm right, going to do right. this. Well, if I'm going to do a $75 gift card for him, I better, better do, do one for her. For, right. You know, sure. and, and so yeah. I can see yeah. how that kind of comes about. Yeah. And also, when you're buying physical gifts, a lot of times you'll buy a sale item. Right. 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 It might be a fifty dollar oh, shirt, but sure. you get it for thirty. When they go to spend that gift card in January, nothing's on sale anymore. Exactly. Well, and I'll tell you what else too. Like I'm thinking about that because I realized too, like for me, like let's say I'm buying like a I'm trying to think of recently I bought a gift card for a couple uh to go to Olive Garden. Mm-hmm. Now, if I would actually pay for their meal at Olive Garden, it probably would have been about thirty bucks. Right. I got a fifty dollar gift card. Because I didn't want them to feel like I got them this gift card and they have to be nervous. Right, about how much to spend? Yeah, and so right. you do that because it's a natural, you're like overcompensating. Of like, I want to make sure they have enough to get the thing they want. And, it's, and especially with restaurant gift cards, I always sure. want to make sure that there's enough on there that they can cover tip. the tip. Right, sure. And cover, give them a nice tip. Yeah. You know, because right. I did a lot of that waitressing work when I was young. Sure, and, sure. And we do live on tips, you know? Yeah. So, um Here's an interesting thing. According to first data, for every prepaid card gifted last year, recipients spent a whopping $59 more than the value of the card. Now, see, that that's a stat right there. Everybody listening, you've got to use that. That so, is an important stat. When you go in and talk to merchants and you say, hey, look, if people buy the prepaid card, they're going to spend $59 more. Right. On that, yeah, that's I mean, that's a huge thing, you know. Yeah. And also, you know, I think gift cards are an excellent way for businesses to reward loyal customers, and also to win back dissatisfied customers. Right. You know, um, I had an interesting experience recently. I, I had bought some um, shoes online from REI. Okay. And they didn't fit right. So I take them back, right? And I'm expecting they're going to give me an REI card, and then I'm going to go around the sh- store, and right? Pick out something sure. worth that money, right? They gave me the cash. I walked out of the store. Yeah. You know, and I thought to myself, if I was running this store, I'd be giving them, right. giving me a gift card because at least then that money is going right. to be spent right. there. And then you that can mon- always, if the person complains, you can always then go then to cash. Then you can go to cash. But their sure. first option, I mean, I almost stopped myself and I almost stopped and asked, why don't you give me a gift card instead? And I was like, heck, if you don't know how yeah. to run your business, I'm going to spend do that. the money someplace <laughs> sure. else, right? Sure. So, um, you know, definitely it's less expensive than refunds because there's no cash out of the draw. And it also I th- it, and, and it saves you card reversals. Sure. But it also strikes me that it's just really good customer service. I yeah. mean, you're, you're dissatisfied here. Let me give you something to right. spend a little more right. money. Sure. So um, 
And then the other thing I that other piece of advice I got from a lot of people was this is a really good time of year to help your merchants with marketing campaigns. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where data mining capabilities that are available through modern POS systems sure. and gift and loyalty cards programs can really shine. Yeah. You know? And I, I really think, you know, I, I would love to hone in on that because I, I think you can't overemphasize the importance during this time of year of data collection. Oh, yes. You know, because th- that's that is your sense of urgency when you're trying to sell what, you know, it's, uh, you know, beginning of November here, you're going out trying to sell and it's like, OK, you got to get the you got to give these people a reason to set up your solution in the next like couple of weeks. Right. 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 So what's the what is the pitch? The pitch is. If you set up this point terminal, if you set up this clover, if you set up this mint, you know whatever it is, right? right. Azusa, when you set this up, you don't even. I'm not. I'm not going to try to convince you to do all this cool marketing stuff during the holidays. It's too close. No, it's too much. Right. Yes. Right. But this is when all the customers are coming in. You've got to collect their email address, their phone number, right. whatever. And with our system, with our point or our clover or whatever, we've got that customer-facing screen. And it's so simple. Yeah, and it grabs this data. And then I'll come back in January and I'll show you the really cool marketing apps mm-hmm. that you can use to get people back. But until you have the data, you've got nothing. Right. right. So collect the data over the holidays. Huge pitch. And I think the other thing, you know, another another interesting pitch is let's say you're pitching on, on, on price, right? Right. Okay, if they're doing all this business at the end of the year, and let's say you're pitching them a 20% savings. Right. Well, that's 20% on the largest chunk right. of right. your business. If you don't switch now, you're going to miss out on You're going to miss savings. out on all these savings at the end of the year because in January, the savings right. aren't going to be as great. Right. So, exactly. yeah. I mean, I, I, I was going to say. Yeah, I like know, that. Yeah, but, you know, any, uh, that's sort of what I have to say. But if you have anything else to add on that, James. Uh, you know what? I, no, I think it's dead on. I mean, to me, I feel like when you're out there and you're pitching the merchant, I think depending on when you're pitching them, I think this time of year is urgency is the thing. Yes. Right. I mean, that's, it's really all that matters because it's not like it's any harder to convince merchants that you have a good offer right now. Right. It's just that it's harder to get them to take action. So I think this is a good time of year, whatever your value proposition is. Think about how your value proposition is more valuable this time of year. Right. Right. If you're if you're offering right. technology, well, it's going to be used more. Mm-hmm. If you're offering marketing data, then there's more data. If you're offering savings, they're going to save more because there's more dollars right. to be had. You know. Right. So yeah, I think it's just a you know to me the holidays are just a multiplier on you know that's why I describe it to business owners. I would always say you know Christmas, Thanksgiving, and Christmas for a retail business, it's just a multiplier right. on what you are already doing. Right. If you're more stressed that time of year. That tells me you're some stressed all year. Mm-hmm. If you have really good processes in place for your business, then the holidays is like exciting because right. you're making more money. Right. But if you have bad processes, it's really going to show that. You right. Know? And 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 you know, and this is the time when you can really tell. Right. What their, whether their processes are good or bad. Yeah. 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 Wow. Great stuff, Patty. Thanks, James. This is questions from the field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the Optical program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. 
Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So last week, of course, Patty, I talked about recruiting. Yes. So we're doing some tips here for man- sales managers in this industry. Mm-hmm. I talked about recruit. And then we're going to talk about training today. Then we're going to talk about activation. you got to activate those reps. Got to do each of the three. All three. If you miss any one of the three, you're not making any sales. Right. So today I want to talk about training. And I want to approach this from a little bit of a different angle today. And I want to just talk about the actual structure of the training program. Okay. Now, there's a couple of things here that I think are important. Number one, neither myself or Patty, we're not attorneys. We're not legal experts. Never would be. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to talk a little bit today about the 1099 dilemma here. Mm, Yeah. Um, But again, with the proviso that I'm not an attorney, these are my opinions based on my consulting practice. Exactly. Right. So here's the thing. When you're training people, there's basically two different kind of approaches that I see that I don't really love either of them. The first approach is we're not going to train anybody at all. Ooh. We are just going to make training available to them. Oh, such a mistake. It is. Now, I've even seen some, of course, that don't even have training available, but so I guess that's one that's step in the right direction. Mistake, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. But just because you have training available does not mean you're training your people. No. You have to actually make sure that they go through it. Mm-hmm. Now, the dilemma, of course, now if you have a W-2 team... This should be simple. It's still sure. not being executed very well, in my opinion, and the, the you know what I've seen. But that's fine. But at least you can do it. If it's an employee, it's really simple. You have to go through this training. Right now, as a 1099, you got to be a little more creative. And the good news is, if you'll take some of these tips I'm going to give you about the 1099 and kind of getting around the constraints there, you can actually apply that to the W-2 side, and it works better for both. Okay. 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 So number one. You need to have a certification or a process completion when it comes to training. Mm-hmm. When you think about training, think about something like boot camp. Right. Right. There's a start date, there's an end date, and there's requirements along the way. And once you've completed all the requirements, you graduate or it's completed or you get a certificate or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. Right. So the idea here is... You really want to have that kind of system of accountability and not only accountability because accountability can often sound like a negative. Mm-hmm. Instead, you want to have that idea of success and this idea of accomplishment. You right. know? It's not just accountability, it's accomplishment. It's like mm-hmm. I'm a certified XYZ processing payments professional, right? So how do we do this with 1099? It's very, very simple, actually. So the idea here is you create this course and you say, in order to be a 1099 contractor with us, you do have to be certified. Right. By us. By us. Right. Now, we are not giving you any particular, we have a recommended course path here, mm-hmm. but there's no certain you know timeline here. There's, we're not saying you have to do it from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. tomorrow. We're not saying any of that. It's just you have to be certified. Uh-huh. Once you're certified, then you're good. So then, of course, that's predicated on having a system of certification. Right. So a system of certification has basically two requirements. Number one, you have to monitor and know that they are actually watching the content that you have for them. Mm-hmm. So you have to know if they're skipping the videos or not. 
Right. Um, number two, you have to have quizzes or tests or something to monitor their progress and make sure that they actually understood the stuff that they were watching. Right. That right. way, you know, they weren't watching Netflix on the other screen. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you have to have those two things in place. Now, um, obviously, my company, we do that. But there are others that have you know learning management systems that do sure. this. But you have to load the content in and, and all of that. So so the, the process here, though, is you want to think through this initial kind of certification process. So I mentioned people who don't have really, they have training, but they don't require it at all. The other side are those who do like, you know, the information overload training. Yes. So they're like, okay, cool. You're, you hired on with us. Awesome. We're going to spend 10 hours the next three days in a hotel conference room. And then you're good to go. Well, perish the thought. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, number one, it's probably going to be super boring. I mean, I'll be honest. You could bring me out there as a consultant. You get me in a room with people three days for 10 hours. They're going to get bored. Mm -hmm. And people will tell you I'm a pretty exciting live guy. Right. <laughs> right. And it's still going to be a tall order for me to keep people engaged that long. Um, now, you know, four or five hours a day with some breaks in between and whatever for a couple of days, two, three days. Sure. But the problem with that is... While you can do the big live events and they're exciting and they're motivating and they're they the, the, to me the live event the real goal of the live event is really just to get people to change the definition they have for themselves. Yeah, you sure. know, it's mm -hmm. more of like no, no, you can do this. Yeah, you know, to me, whenever I do a live event, no matter how much education I'm trying to get into the mix, I'm supposed to be presenting for my client. Mm -hmm. At the end of the event, what I hope everybody feels is I can do this. Right. You know, James has motivated me. Right. I know I can make this happen. Here we go. I get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know enough to like take some action. So that's good. But here's what you don't get from a live event. You do not get information retention. Yes. People, you ask them two months later what I talked about in a consulting live event, they're going to remember 20, 30%. If, if, if you're that, lucky. Right? Yeah, that's right. if I'm doing a really, really good job. You get somebody in there talking monotone that doesn't know what they're doing, right. you're talking about 5%. Right. Like, so it's really difficult. And so that's where you also need to have training. So it's like you have your certification, which again, I'm still a big believer in video certification. I think it's like live events are great for kickoffs and excitement and getting a lot of information out, but in a way where people are motivated and they're looking at this, like, I think I can do this. And they're aware of, of what's going on. They, they leave feeling like I understand the big picture and I can do this. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. But then certification is a process, usually a video training. Right. But then in addition to the certification stuff, you want to have some kind of then a guide. Yeah, that's what I was going to suggest, right? A guide that's like, this is the success guide. Right. This is what our most successful sales partners do the first day. Yes. This is what they do the second day. Mm -hmm. It's what they do the third day and, and so on. Cover those first 10 to 20 days mm -hmm. and help your agents, you know, go, okay, cool. So I know what I need to do today. Right. 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 Because so, once they get in that cycle, let's say you give right. them two or three weeks worth. Right. Right. Give them 15, 20, whatever. Right. 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 Then they're, you're already in that pattern. And right. So it's easy, much easier to continue yes. it. Yes. As opposed to saying, here's your information. Go fend right. for yourself. And what that what that process is all about, and I'll talk a lot more about this next week with activation, but that process is all about getting them to take action. Right. And sure. building those habits. And building the confidence as well as Absolutely. the habits. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. So the key really to training, and again, you run into problems with 1099. It's like, how do I require people to go through that? Well, what you do is you say, this is your instructional guide. Right. Where there's not like a requirement that you do this on day one, two, three, four, whatever. It's just, if you want to do what all of our other successful agents are doing, 
Right. Here's the course. And I would advise you have some legal agreements in place that mm-hmm. are that in no way are we trying to direct the action of the agent here and all of that if they're 1099. But we are you know? saying that, like, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but you, you, they are saying you need to be certified with us first. And this will help you achieve that certification, exactly. right? Well, no, no, this would be like you get certified first, which is like the basic amount of information about the industry. Okay, okay. Which could be done in a live event, but it's usually done better with video. Mm-hmm. But some kind of initial thing of like, you know the history of the industry, how it works, who the players are, what all are that. What are the players, who, what, right. what's interchange, yada, yada. So you okay. have to be certified just in order. That's just your ticket to play. Gotcha. Right? But now you're like in the game. Okay. Here's the game plan. Gotcha. Right? And this okay. is your 10 to 20 day game plan. Okay. So that's really my advice to you on the training side of it. I really believe that this industry, you know, I just, it's amazing to me. Absolutely stunning. Like I have so many friends in other sales industries Mm -hmm. and you're like, what is your, what do you do for training? Oh, our company goes to this event. They go to the, we just had this speaker and we do this, we do that. And our industry it's like do that. nothing. Yeah. Come on. Like we're in and a sales industry. you even go industry. to some of these, uh, you know, some of the shows and, and, you know, I go to a lot of, you know, I go to right. shows of the regionals and right. such. They're not really that informative per se. Right. I mean, yeah, you get your meetings and stuff, right, but it's right. like what they can do so much more by educating. Right. You know, having educational right. type of service. And they have the educational stuff where they'll have like the, the keynotes about all these different things, but it's like. Where a lot of the people that are there at these events, they sell merchant services. Like, you need to understand how to sell it. So anyway, dive into the training. It is absolutely crucial to recruit the right people, but then also train them to give them the tools to be successful. So that they can be successful salespeople. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.